Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. Today with me, I have Reverend Katie O'Dunn, and she's the founder of the Faith and Mental Health Integrative Services, an organization helping individuals with OCD and related disorders um, live into their faith traditions as they navigate evidence-based treatment. Now, prior to this, she spent seven years serving as the academy chaplain at the Chair of Religious Studies at Woodward Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. And while serving this role, she also served as a consultant on interfaith programming for schools around the country. Katie is proud to be an IOCDF lead advocate and ordained minister in the United Church of Christ and an endurance athlete tackling 50 ultra marathons for OCD. She's currently pursuing her doctorate at Vanderbilt to continue with her focus on faith and mental health. And she graduated, graduated from Candler School of Theology at Emory with her Master of Divinity and Certificate of Religion and Health in May of 2015. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I just think just just a moment before we even jump, Tom, I, I just said like, I, I think I have a gem here. Um, and I think the audience is going to be excited to hear you and, and see you. And um, because I think you said to me that you really kind of work with all different faiths. Can you can you kind of name some of that for us? Like, what are the different faiths you work with? Yeah, I mean, so, and I know we'll get into more kind of the OCD side, but I, I like to tell folks when we're talking about faith and OCD, particularly religious scrupulosity, um, it's not any particular faith. As we know, OCD is OCD is OCD, and it loves to latch on to anything that's important and significant to you. Um, so I get to blend a lot of my work with OCD with the work that I did really for the last decade um, in kind of the interfaith world. So now I have the pleasure of working with folks who are Jewish and Muslim and Buddhist and Hindu and Sikh and Jain and Christian and atheist and agnostic and humanist, really anything you can imagine in any sect and any denomination um, in helping folks navigate for them well, what is my faith and, and what is my OCD? How can I live into my tradition in an authentic value-driven way that again is about, about them and their relationship with the divine rather than what the OCD is telling them that relationship has to look like? Perfect. I mean, you kind of hit right on all those different targets, but the, I think that's beautiful. And I think what I wanted is is for folks to hear all the different kind of you know faiths that are out there. And I'm sure there's maybe some we maybe haven't mentioned, but you know, it, it's not it, that's not even the focus, right? The focus is like you said, it's looking at well, how does OCD intersect with that part of our lives? So um, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about this particular manifestation of OCD, this kind of subtype, um, scrupulosity OCD. So how does it really show up for somebody? What are some kind of signs that somebody might, might recognize that, oh, maybe this is what I'm dealing with? Yeah. Um, so I, I 
always, um, again, and I know I said this, but I think it's really important for, for folks to hear that um, scrupulosity OCD, particularly religious scrupulosity, is not some special OCD subtype. It's just OCD latching onto that thing that's important to you. And when we talk about scrupulosity, we're often either talking about moral scrupulosity or religious scrupulosity. Moral scrupulosity is, is more um, secularly focused and focused on, well, am I doing the right thing? Am I a good person in the secular sense? Um, and interestingly enough, as somebody also with OCD, that was where most of my focus was throughout mm. my OCD journey. But with religious scrupulosity, there tends to be a tie to the particular faith tradition, whether that's the relationship with the divine or the relationship to the text. Um, and often this presents where someone might be engaging in particular rituals or seeking reassurance from a faith leader or seeking reassurance from a religious text in a way that um, is goes past maybe what others in that faith tradition are doing. And they're not doing it necessarily for the purpose of deriving joy or meaning or peace out of the tradition. They're specifically engaging in those things as compulsive behaviors to alleviate the obsession and the fear that they have that they're doing something wrong or that they're offending God or that they've committed a sin or are going to hell. Um, so this typically, you know, it's really interesting because sometimes in faith communities, um, it's not always recognized because it can look like, wow, this person is just really faithful and just doing all of these things. And um, sometimes it really has nothing, well, actually often <laughs> when we're talking about scrupulosity, it has nothing to do with the faith of that person. It has to do with this crippling anxiety and trying to alleviate the fear that they've somehow done something against God. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a lot that you've just covered there. Um, I think one of the things that, first of all, I love hearing that, that kind of the distinction, right? Like there's, there's more of anxiety that's kind of driving the process, right. Versus your actual faith. Um, you know, from, just from your experience and, and especially amazing, you, you know, have to also be a reverend, what would you say, um, you know, is kind of something that stands out to you that you're, you, you've seen, you know, in terms of how can people, like, what are some ways they can really differentiate that even further, um, right? Like, like, let's say, okay, globally understand, well, my faith says, you know, I have to pray X amount of times or my, my, my beliefs, my spiritual path says, um, you know, I need to do X offerings um, or I need to go to temple or whatever it is. Right. Um, how, how does OCD kind of mess with that? Like how does OCD actually constrict that? Right. You, you alluded to some things, but I wonder if we could just go a little bit deeper with it. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that actually how I ended up in this area is the exact question mm -hmm. that you're asking um, coming out of my own journey with with OCD, um, I started with the IOCDF building out programming around faith and OCD and started hearing from a lot of really amazing clinicians who were doing ERP with their clients, but might not have been as familiar with the different faith traditions. This struggle between figuring out, well, what's healthy, authentic faith and, and what's OCD. So that's a lot of the work that I started doing and really what took me to this area and such a, a passion to be able to bridge the gap. And um, often what I tell folks is to really think about the function of why they're engaging in a particular practice or a particular ritual, because religious rituals in and of themselves are not 
necessarily compulsive. You can definitely do those for reasons that are value driven. But when asking the function, for someone who has OCD, if you're doing something because it um, is a response to fear or anxiety or guilt or shame or obligation, or if, if there's, there's this immediate notion of, I have to figure this out in this moment, we would generally put that in that OCD camp, right? But if it's authentic faith, that's really going to be someone saying, well, I'm moving towards joy hope, meaning, comfort, peace. It's a very, very different reason that someone's engaging in that practice. Um, and I do interfaith literacy for ERP trainings with clinicians and had somebody recently say, well, people can pray and be afraid and that can be value driven. They said like, what if a plane's going down and someone's praying? That's not OCD. I'm like, no, no, that's totally right. But the difference there is someone is engaging in prayer because they're afraid to bring comfort, they're not praying because they're afraid not to pray. And that's really where we see that differentiation. Often, if someone is engaging in those things because of OCD, they're fearful or they're guilty or they're shameful about not doing them. They feel like, well, I am totally obligated, not because of this meaning or this relationship with the divine, but because something horrific could possibly happen if I don't. Um, and then when we're looking at someone who's engaging in particular practices, it, it can be really great, especially for folks who are um, clinicians who are working with clients on exposures to think about within a particular sect or denomination or tradition, what do 80% of the folks within that tradition actually do? Um, and that's a really good kind of baseline to see, well, are they engaging in something that's, that's kind of typical within that? Or is it something that's a little bit more extreme maybe than others are doing? Mm, that's actually really great. Yeah. So, so that, that kind of, yeah, what's the purpose, right? Like, am I doing it because I'm actually doing it because of my faith and, and my connection with the divine, let's just say that, or is it because I'm doing it out of my anxiety or my fear? Yeah. So what would you say then? I mean, if somebody's listening and they're kind of for the first time evaluating this for themselves, what is the treatment? Like, how do you address this? I know it's a big ball of wax, uh, but I love, like you said, I think everybody in the OCD community will say, you know, OCD is OCD is OCD. Right. Like you have to kind of really recognize that it doesn't matter what the kind of mm -hmm. theme is. It, it's more learning how the OCD brain works. Mm -hmm. um, but what would you say from your experience kind of can be some pitfalls or even let's, let's do pitfalls. And then generally, like what what's a, what's the treatment for this? Yeah, I, I think uh, so kind of two big biggest pitfall that I see literally every day in talking with folks. So um, I'm sure folks here can resonate with this um, is when someone says, well, I can't engage in ERP, which we'll get more into in just a second, because what if this actually is my faith? What if this is an OCD? How do you know for certain? And often I'll have folks come to me as a faith leader and say, well, can you prove to me for certain that this is my OCD and that this isn't my faith? And that's the only way I can engage in treatment because it is far too risky to potentially engage in exposures if this could possibly be my faith, if I could be wrong. And I would tell folks, this is a huge pitfall. This is often, I mean, across OCD themes, this is something we hear. How do we know this is OCD and not X, Y, and Z? But with faith in particular, that can feel really scary. It's like, how do I know this isn't, I often hear from folks, God or the divine telling me something, or, or how do I know that this isn't a part of that as opposed to my OCD? And I always tell folks that I wish I had 
a more concrete answer, but my answer is always that if it looks like OCD and smells like OCD, it's probably OCD and that I will never know for certain. And that part of that treatment is about leaning into the uncertainty and that by moving into treatment, you'll actually have, you'll be able to re-engage with your faith tradition in ways that are meaningful and are value driven to you. Um, I, I like to tell folks, I'm, I'm not certain about a whole lot of things, but I really do strongly believe that exposure and response prevention um, as a gold standard treatment is an answer to prayer that many folks ask for. Um, in so many faith traditions, people often compulsively pray to get rid of those intrusive thoughts, mm -hmm. pray to push all of those things away. And I always tell folks, I love that you love to pray, but that is a compulsive way of, of praying. We can talk more about what it might look like to shift that, to not be compulsive. But I'll often have folks say like, where, where is the divine um, in the midst of that? Why aren't my intrusive thoughts, quote unquote, going away, right? Yeah. And I think a really interesting and poignant answer across faith traditions is that this evidence-based treatment, that ERP can very much be an answer to prayer. We have really, really effective treatment for OCD, really effective treatment specifically for religious scrupulosity that can help someone re-engage with this value-driven life. And rather than falling into that pitfall of, well, why didn't God take this away? And how do I know this isn't God? There's this element of actually taking your faith and diving into that treatment with faith and with hope that you can get back to your life by doing that. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and actually, as you were talking, you know, reminds me of a question that I definitely hear a lot, which is, you know, how do you know, because here's the thing, right? We, we hear about this thing of um, like I manifest my thoughts. I am my thoughts, right? Like my thoughts will become my reality, right? So how would you answer this question? Um, if somebody says, well, how do I know that I'm not manifesting the things that are, that are in my mind, right? If I'm wanting to work on abundance and manifestation of something, how, how, how then can you tell me that that stuff that pops in, whether, you know, what if I'm, sexually attracted to somebody I shouldn't be, or, you know, what if I, you know, snap and hurt somebody or whatever, you know, whatever else of, of the myriad of things that OCD will attach to. So what, how would you answer that? Yeah. Um, I, again, a question I got a couple times yesterday. This is, this is your right very <laughs> moment. Um, and I, I like to go back to just the basic idea that, that thoughts are thoughts are thoughts. And, we all have a bajillion, yes, very technical over here, but a bajillion different thoughts a day. We have all of these thoughts that are flowing through our minds and the general population, they're having those same thoughts that you are, that you just happen to be stuck on those particular thoughts because you have OCD, because your brain is particularly sticky and because you're getting stuck on those things that are important to you, not because those thoughts have any greater meaning. We all are having this constant state of, of thinking, of associating with different things. But from the spiritual sense, often folks say, well, well how do I know that that isn't me, or like you said, that that isn't something that I'm manifesting. And um, I like to uh, the, drawing from a couple different traditions, but this this always goes back to something that I heard a Buddhist practitioner say when I was taking actually my students on an interfaith immersion trip years ago in the height of my own OCD struggles when I was struggling with how do I know I'm not my thoughts. 
And uh, he was talking about this idea that, you know, thoughts are thoughts are thoughts, that the you that you really are is the person behind those thoughts, kind of figuring out what does that thought mean for me? Um, how does that how does that thought relate to my life? And and not that that's something that we we incorporate or need to incorporate into OCD treatment, but that's always kind of brought me comfort in sharing with folks that you're you're not the thoughts. You're the one who's figuring out what do I do with those thoughts? Do I leave those thoughts there? Do I let them hang out? Do I push them away? Is that a thought that I'm like, oh, that aligns with me or a thought that doesn't? That we're not the thoughts themselves. We're the ones who are kind of picking through all of the muck. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like that actually a lot. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of used what you said earlier, which is kind of helping folks also understand, like, you know, think about like, if you're manifesting something, like what state typically are you at? Are you, are you manifesting, like you said, function of behavior, right? Like, are you manifesting out of that place of I'm actually really grounded, I'm centered and I'm working towards something and I'm putting some energy out there or, Am I in that state of intense anxiety and getting bombarded? And now I'm kind of in this negatively biased state mm-hmm. and all that's actually happening is anxiety and physiologically, and your brain is just not quite processing information correctly. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that literal human state, you know, do you really think you're manifesting from there or your brain is just kind of stuck? Like a gear gets stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, so let's for a minute, talk about, how do you work with this stuff, right? Because it's so much there, right? And, and and of course, right, people will get super scared, like, well, what if something happens to my soul or my being or my energy or what, whatever it may be, right? So how, what what would be the treatment? What would be the way to address this? Yeah, so um, always love to encourage folks to work with um, an OCD specialist and and with a licensed clinician in, in your area to really address this with, the gold standard treatment for OCD, um, exposure and response prevention, and especially acknowledging that every single person in their treatment is going to look a little bit different. So by working with a specialist, you can really kind of get to the root of, well, what are those core fears for you? What are the things that, that you're really afraid of so that you're able to develop a hierarchy and begin to do some lower level exposures and build up to some higher level exposures where you're facing those fears or facing those things that you're afraid of. Um, I'll often have folks ask, well, does that mean I'm going to have to do like the scariest possible thing my first session? And it's like, no, oh my goodness, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to be working with you so that you can build up in um, a way that's healthy and that makes sense for you um, so that you can engage in exposures and not do the ritual. Um, You can not respond in a way that's compulsive. And you can essentially rewire your brain to learn that you can, in fact, sit with that anxiety. And eventually it doesn't come up in that way that that it has for so long. Um, With Specifically with religious scrupulosity, this can be really scary for folks because it can feel like the exposures are in opposition to their faith tradition. And that's really not the case. Um, And I always tell folks, if you're working with really a licensed and a trained clinician, they're not going to do anything that that crosses over um, your your boundary of um, what would be acceptable in your faith tradition. Kind of going back to that 80-20 rule I was talking about earlier, that's often why it's great when clinicians can work alongside faith leaders to say, you know, what, what might others 
be willing to do within this faith tradition that's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and that's actually a lot of the work that I do. I always tell folks I am not a clinician, but I specialize around faith and OCD and working with clinicians to actually develop those exposures and to help clients lean into those exposures in ways that are still value-driven in accordance with their faith. Um, and how I often explain is I think there's kind of a line between discomfort and disrespect. I always tell folks, you're not going to want to do the exposure. You're just not going to want to. I went through ex exposure and response prevention. <laughs> there was never a day where I walked into my therapist's office and said like, yes, I get to do exposure <laughs> today. This is so awesome. Like just not. Um, so you're not going to want to do it. But the question to kind of figure out if this is a healthy exposure for folks around um, religious scrupulosity is, well, why don't they want to do it? Is your reason for not wanting to do it well, I'm afraid that God might be mad at me. I'm afraid that I could potentially go to hell or I'm afraid that I'm committing the unpardonable sin by doing that. I'm afraid something bad could happen. That sounds like a lot of OCD kind of to me. It's kind of focused on the reason that you're going to begin with. If your response is something like, um, nobody in my faith tradition would do that. And that's just not, I just don't want to. There's a difference in response there between what's maybe dis what's what's uncomfortable and we want it to be uncomfortable, but not be disrespectful. And I, I think that line can be different for every person. It can be different for every tradition. And that's why it's really important to um, to really work on individual cases with that. Um, but the goal, regardless would be to start at a low level and build up to things um, that are more challenging for you. And again, just to continue to emphasize for folks to hear, going to exposure and response prevention and treatment or engaging in it doesn't mean that you're going to be asked to oppose the things that you believe. It just means you're going to be asked to lean into some discomfort so that you can get back to those things in a value-driven way. I love that. I love all of that. And I love that you named that like, yeah, you can work with your clinician and with a faith leader, right? Mm -hmm. That you can actually connect with whoever it is in your community really and collaborate and, and really, you know, together kind of look at like, yeah, what's respectful, what's within the scopes of your mm -hmm. actual practice that, and I love that, right? Using other people, like what do generally people in your community do? And so let's get some clarity around what that guideline would look like and help kind of get to that place versus um right if you're if you're not and you let's say don't know certain faith right then you can step into areas where maybe you really don't need to or, or don't want to so it, i love that distinction that you're making about you know really being respectful versus the discomfort yeah and i think part of the reason um and this is this is where i end up seeing a lot of folks too i think part of the significant reason for that is if someone is asked to do something that's so outside the realm of their belief, often they're not going to engage in it. And then not only are they going to leave treatment, they aren't going to want to go back to treatment again, or they're not right. going to engage in exposures to begin with. They're going to completely shut down. So being able to really think about, you know, what, what is value driven for that person, but uncomfortable, not only helps to keep them in treatment, but it, it helps them to get better while they still are feeling like they're aligned with, with those values. Um, and we kind of say, you know, the same thing, you're not going to ask, um, someone who, um, has particular dietary restrictions to all of a sudden go out and eat bacon. That's like, no, that's, that's not going to be a part of, right, of right. You. Mm -hmm. but there may be an element of 
you looking at some of those particular foods or thinking about that or writing about it in ways that are still uncomfortable, but aren't going against those, those values that are a part of your tradition. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation and thank you for your time. Um, and if you can, please let folks know, how can people find you? Yeah. Um, so folks can find me on my website at revkatiodunn.com or um, they're welcome to reach out to me on Instagram at revkrunsbeyondocd. And um, everything that we're talking about today, these are big passion topics for me of, of really helping folks navigate what is faith, what is OCD, but also recognizing that Faith and evidence-based treatment do not have to be mutually exclusive. It's actually by engaging in evidence-based treatment that we can get back to faith in in a value-driven way. Um, And I I just want to end too by telling folks, one of the big fears I hear often is, you know, is the divine or is the universe, whatever that person is, is feeling drawn to, going to be angry at me for completing exposures. And that's just for folks to hear some of their different traditions. You know, that might be um, in Hinduism, what if I've done something that impacts my progress in Dharma? Or what if I didn't pronounce the shlokas correctly? Um, In Judaism, what if I broke religious law? What if I'm not fasting appropriately? Um, Islam, what if I didn't do um, my purification rituals appropriately. What in Christianity, what if I committed the unpardonable sin? I mean, we have all of these different things, right? But across the board, I often hear from folks like, well, can the divine or can God handle my exposures? And I always tell folks in all of these different traditions, we see the divine as really this all-powerful force. And with everything that is going on in the world, I don't have certainty, but I'm pretty sure God can handle the exposures that we're doing over here in order to get back to this big, beautiful, awesome life that we were created to live and that we deserve to live as we seek to make the world a better place as us, not by the things that our OCD is telling us. What a beautiful way to end. Powerful, very powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.